and welcome to episode six of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swilbrick, and today we're going to look at an exciting new benefit for club members, an archive of the club magazine. The archive, which launched this week, covers 55 volumes from the very first issue to the present day, and I'm delighted to have with me Grant Richardson, Surrey Section Secretary, Club Board Member and Project Manager for the Archive, John Dooley, former magazine editor and club chairman and BTCC driver, and Bill Smith, the club's webmaster and all-round IT guru. Welcome, gentlemen. Afternoon. Good afternoon. Afternoon. Grant, if we can start with you, the Archive's your baby, really. What, what inspired the idea? I've been section secretary in Surrey for a number of years, and I noticed that one of the members on my list had the membership number of nine, which if they actually work it out means she must have been involved pretty well right from the start of the club. And that actually just got me thinking. I'd, you know, I'd, ne- I'd never seen her, um, and I wondered if we could invite her out to come along to one of our events. So I dropped her a line inviting her to come and join us at uh, one of the shows that we attended, which... She politely declined because of her health. She was yeah, getting on. But the upshot of it was she actually invited me around to uh, hear some stories of her involvement with the club. And that was Margot Piper. And a few months later, I found myself taking tea one afternoon in August with her while she told me a few stories of the things she and her late husband, Peter, had got up to in the early days of the club, back when you could buy 1950s Alfa Romeos for... Uh, probably what was the price of a pint at the time, or swapping it for a burnt-out Austin Ely in one case and in Cairo, as the story turned out, and, uh, and just related a lot of the stories to me. What she also did was she showed me some photographs and articles and some correspondence that her husband had penned in his time, and it was, it was quite an engaging story. And I, I came away from that thinking, you know, it'd be great if we could capture this. There's just so much there that tells so much of the history of the club and what it was like in the early days. Wouldn't it be good if we could capture that in some way? And I guess from that, the uh, seed was planted of setting up an online archive that uh, members would have access to, to put all of this information. It, It so happened in the fullness of time, I put the proposal to the board and the answer came back, yeah, sounds like a good idea. Why don't we try it with the club magazine first of all, because there's a a valuable resource. It turned out it had been something that had been discussed in the past, but I'll let John cover that. And so the decision was made, let's create the archive. Let's try it out by putting the magazine online, see how it goes, see where we go from there. And how long ago was that? And how have things progressed since then? Well, we kicked off working on this, I guess, in terms of discussing the concept, discussing how we could actually do it, which which Bill will cover later, probably in early 2017. So this has been the culmination of three years of work just to focus on the magazine archive. I mean, I think the other point that's worth making is that, I mean, the idea, the, the magazine is the first thing we'll put up there. My idea was always that it'd be a great thing for old brochures, technical stuff, section records, anything like that. If we could just create this library of AROC through the years. It'd be a great member benefit, I'm sure, of interest to a lot of people. So we spent the last three years working through technical issues, the actual mechanical production, which John and Bill will cover in due course. And we're now ready to go with 55 volumes of club magazines. John, when did you get involved in the project and what's your role been in all of this? I've been involved with the club since... 
1966 and uh, took on the editorship of the magazine at the end of 67. So I've sort of lived in amongst this whole scene for decades now. I've had roles of, I've had the chairmanship of the club for a period of time, and I stood down from that. Back in about 2012, I sat down with Nick Wright to discuss various ideas for taking the club forward. And on the list was the notion of an archive of the magazines. I had a background with an online database company that uh, dealt with art and antiques records. And, and so I knew a certain amount about the value of these things. Fortunately, those discussions or I had meetings didn't actually proceed, sort of disappeared into the board somewhere. And I was absolutely delighted when Grant called me up. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting using my mobile in the car park somewhere near Ashford. And, uh, and he told me that he'd put the idea to the board and they'd come back and wanted to go ahead. And I think Grant, they said, you'd better go and talk to Dooley or something. Ah, so you were volunteered. Well, I think Grant would have preferred not to, but... Um... <laughs> well, that's not entirely true. But certainly <laughs> and, I was steered in your direction. And actually, you know, Grant has actually provided the, the strength of management to be able to drive this forward, which has been great. 55 volumes, that sounds like a lot of work. What's actually involved in turning those old magazines into an online archive? Ah... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I tell you, well, first of all, you have to locate the magazines. And latterly, with everything in lockdown, my own store has been a bit of an issue. And then you have to make sure you've got them as complete as you can. You need to scan them page by individual page, partly because certainly for about the first 30 years, the printing was fairly agricultural, shall we say. And so the content can be on different parts of the page, I offset one way or the other. So the process actually involves taking the magazines apart, because if you tried to scan them just by bending the things and putting them in the machine, you get all sorts of problems. It, it takes about a day and a half to scan a year's worth of magazines as a, as a broad brush. Then one goes through a form of edit which tries to eliminate adverts that aren't needed, standardised contacts and so on, information, and a little bit of concerns about uh, personal information. And that takes about another half a day per year to get done. And then that's all dropboxed off to Bill, who puts them up onto the system. Then at Bill's end, and he might prefer to cover this, his end then pulls the text out of the magazines because the approach to searching is based on a text word search. We soon worked out that the PDFs, the total file sizes, were going to be pretty huge, about, what, 15 gigabytes, 12 gigabytes, and clearly doing a search across that 
people would be going off and making a lot of cups of tea while waiting for the results to come back. Then there's a further edit of pulling out the content because we show the content on the pages, um, on the on the individual issues on the face of the system, and also list the contributors. So that provides other means of searching for items. So it, it's a fairly lengthy process, and if you times that by 50-odd, the latter ones, which have been published by Lavenham since April 2007, have been available electronically. So that's allowed us to skip out the, the actual scanning process, which is great. So it, it's, a, it's a fairly lengthy process. So that's the manual side of things. Bill, I suspect there were a few technical challenges along the way. What were they and how did you overcome them? Well, the uh, as John was explaining, the search was uh, one of the fundamental things that we wanted to be able to do. And as luck would have it, of course, there was no off-the-shelf package with that sort of search in there that we needed. So um, the, the biggest challenge I had then was to decide, you know, to find a package that we could customize. It's a industry standard CMS, an open source CMS. Uh, take a package that we could customize to give us the functionality specifically uh, in terms of the, the search, etc., to give us a functionality that we needed. And at that point, it was a case of picking up the components that we could use inside that CMS. And to be perfectly honest, once the techie part was over, the, the biggest worry was how do we make it possible that it's easy enough to upload new content or new new magazines? And I was thinking about that was probably the, the, one of the hardest things I did. And that was, you know, thinking about that whole process and making that process easy for uh, editors such as John and Grant to use. We did have, uh, as John has just explained, there was a huge amount of data needed to be uploaded. So one of the other things that I did was to create some utilities that we could batch this data in on a volume by volume basis so that we didn't have to spend time manually adding all, all the PDFs. So, yeah, there are a big number of challenges, exciting ones, interesting ones, but that's, that's what I do. I like to solve problems, and it was a, it was a good problem to solve. One, one of the biggest and hardest things I had to do was to stop reading the magazines as I put them up because it was consuming so much of my time. <laughs> it was really quite interesting. It's, a, it's an incredible archive. Some of the earlier stuff in particular I've really enjoyed. Yeah, forgetting that I was actually supposed to be working rather than reading the whole back catalogue of the magazines was uh, was a tricky thing to do. And how much of the text processing can be automated and how much manual double-checking do you have to do against the the OCR text extraction? Well, what we've done is we've uh, we've extracted the um, the text from the magazines and that's uh, we've got some macros to be able to do that, but there's some easy ways of uh, being able to do that too. If we go Acrobat, we can we can save as text. Um, but the text, uh, we're not actually searching the, through the magazine itself. We're searching the text that's inside the CMS. So we need to take the text from a mag, put it in the CMS, and at that point, of course, we've got an opportunity then to clean that text up. And that was all part of the, the plan originally because OCR is not entirely reliable. So we needed an opportunity to be able to clean it up. And we can do that at our leisure now. Now that that information's in there, we can we can go through these and clean them up at our leisure. One of the other things that it's worth mentioning, Bill, is the, the time and effort that went into making sure that the archive is accessible by members only, really protect our heritage and, and actually yeah, protect it from injudicious downloading and 
spreading across the web. So. Yes, that's uh, that, that's that's true. Um, that was probably one of the, the, the few customized bits of code that I had to write, and that was to make sure we could. It was only members that were able to log in. So yeah, that's a very similar uh, login mechanism that we use for the forum. That was something that had to be written. The other element of that, of course, was when we chose the reader, the magazine reader. Um, it had we had to be able to customize that so the downloads weren't possible, etc. As well for copyright reasons, as you mentioned, Grant. John mentioned the transition to Lavenham and the availability of electronic versions of the magazine. How different was it working with those? Was it the scanning stage that was removed, or was there more to it than that? Yeah, we principally removed the scanning stage. We could just take the PDF and extract the text from it. So we, we still had to extract the text, but yeah, it was the, the scanning stage. And of course, without the OCR step, the text that we've we've got from the, the PDF is, is 110%. There, there's yeah. still the edit process on the, um, on, on the files from Lavenham insofar as we have to exclude things like the, the adverts from what we put into the system. John, you've had the privilege, I guess, of revisiting most of the magazine's history and, and the club's history come to that. And you've shared a few memorable articles with me over the last few months. But what were some of the highlights? Let me just think back, you know, because speed reading 54 years worth of magazines, 55 years. I have to reflect a little bit on that. I think what strikes you is the massive overall level of the content in terms of highlights, uh, contributions from luminaries, amongst alpha people like Henry Wessels in the States, Martin Swick in the States, uh, Domenico Chirico, the engineer behind the Alpha Sud, a paper on the decisions and the calculations made in developing the Alpha Sud engine. Really, in almost every magazine, there's something that hits you. But I'll tell you the other thing that hits you, which is the the range and the depth of participation that this club has from its many, many members that put um, material into the magazine. Just reading the register news, there's so much in there which will be useful to owners of these cars. You know, as an overall thing, I mean, we live in this sort of um, Google tissue world of desktop looking around. What, what we've got in this archive is the real thing from people that actually lived it and did it at the time. And very difficult to reconstruct that from afresh now. One of the things that drove my conversations with Nick Wright and John Timms back in 2012 was that it had been pointed out to me by a member that my material that had been published in the magazine was turning up on these alternative alpha type websites, bulletin board and so on, and being reproduced in their entirety. And I actually had to take some action to stop that from happening. And it just seemed to me that if there was a great interest in all this material, that it should be the clubs and not in the hands of other people that decided to steal it. It's obviously an incredible resource for members to reminisce or to find out more about the history of the club or of the model of the car that they own. But you see other uses for it as well, don't you? If you want to check the history of a car, you can check that through the archive and actually put the history of the car together if you're taking it, for instance, to auction or marketing it. it it's very powerful. I mean, for instance, the Rothschild GTA 
that has gone through multiple hands, you can actually trace that through the different issues that it's turned up in. That's brilliant. And you and I have already had this conversation, but I'm determined to make use of this resource, not just as a research tool for writing features, but to take a regular look back at what was happening in the magazine 10, 20, 30 years ago. 40 and 50 years ago. 40 or 50 years ago, indeed. And I mean, Bill has said that what took his time up was the tendency to read what he was saying. I mean, I've, I've had the same problem. And it, it's also told me how much I missed as I lived through this, as well as what I did see. And it, it is absolutely amazing. So, Grant, the initial phase of the project was to get the magazine online. How complete is that part of the archive? And when do you think all 55 volumes will be there in their entirety? Well, we're going through the final half a dozen volumes at the moment. And you heard earlier that there's another stage of the process just to do the cleansing of the uh, text for the search function. So there's a bit of ongoing work to do there. No definite timeline for that. The push has really been to get, get the archive launched this year, particularly when people have so few options for actually enjoying their cars we can at least help them enjoy them virtually in terms of future plans well i haven't really thought that far yet to be honest you know for me the 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 magazine was the test bed we've done some things with the magazine that i think we would not do with other things that we put on the archive uh, just because of their very nature. You know, from the outset, John was insistent that this be searchable and I absolutely support that decision um, because the magazine, things aren't as quite well ordered as they are known as manuals or brochures or things like that. You can categorize things like section archives that it's very easy to categorize when you put it in an archive. So I guess we've done the hard the hard work. We've probably done that, put the hardest thing we could to, uh, first up in the archive. Where do we go from now? I guess that's entirely over to the members of the club. We've established the principle. We've established that it works. We've established it's feasible. We've found a way to deal with the storage. We've found a way to deal with getting access to it and controlling access to it, which is quite important. It's now down to individuals to say, I'd like to put these brochures on or... I'd like to put the archive from my section website and uh, archive my section website in there or put my section newsletters in there or it, it can be whatever people want it to be, and whatever they're going to get benefit out of. And do you want people to contact you with their ideas for the next phase or do you want to have a little bit of a break first? I'm quite happy to gather ideas. I'm afraid I won't always respond to them straight away. But yeah, I think, you know, let's get the momentum. Let's get the ideas. The, the, the first step is always going to be individuals with stuff they want to make that available electronically and we can then find a way of storing it and making it accessible and again always behind the member firewall i think it's it's really important to understand that this is something that we are offering to the membership of the club we may well tease bits of it for to to, to let non-members know what they're missing but it is very much um the members the arox ipr and Arox jewels, and we certainly want to protect that as much as we can. Finally, Bill, you talked about the login process being the same or very similar to the forums, but where do people go to get access and when will it all go live? They will go to archive.arox-uk.com and that's the, uh, the front page or follow the menu option under the members menu on the main Arox website and it'll be, it is ready now. Fantastic. Well, thank you all very much for your time, gentlemen. And I'm sure we've now got lots of members eager to get online and see what's there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
Grant Richardson, John Dooley and Bill Smith there. And you can read more about the archive in the current issue of Alfa Romeo Driver, which if it isn't with you yet, will be landing very soon. That's it for this episode. Next week, we'll have another episode linked to the current issue of the magazine as I sit down with two of the other judges of the lockdown photo competition we ran in the April issue. Sadly, neither Antonio Giovinazzi or Nick and Danny Costello from Built for Athletes could make it. But we do have some of their thoughts and I'll be joined by club chairman John Griffiths and ace photographer and author Peter Collins. You'll be able to find all the pictures we're discussing on the club website and episode 7 will be available from 1.30 next Sunday on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify or wherever else you normally get your podcasts. That's it from me, so until next time, stay safe. <laughs>